All right, let's talk about First uh, Sam fifteen sixteen. Uh, Randall and I and George were we're in the Old Man Book Club. Uh, about every one uh, Thursday each month, we we read some theology books. And George told me that uh, after George describe, explains them. All. George explains them. Yes, <laughs> we read them. We have questions. George explains them. And I found out that I am a uh, what, what was it? Historical critical uh, scholarship camp. I fall in the historical critical scholarship camp. I did not know that until Thursday. <laughs> yeah, someone asked me this weekend, I was at a Health Towns board meeting, if I was a theologian. And after Thursday night, I said, no, I'm a historical critical scholar. Yeah. I'm still, still time to repent. I know. We'll try. We'll try. Yeah. After reading the theologian half, I, I don't know if I, I, can, I can't wrap my, they invent words. And we discussed that Thursday. They were inventing words. I'm going like, I don't think you can do that. If you if there's a concept you can't explain, you just invent a word and call it that. Said, so I, I need a little better. Uh, my English is not that good. Leland missed all of that. Yeah. Uh, uh. So, uh, so for Leland, we're doing a historical critical background to uh, First Sam today. Good. That's right. All right. Uh, so. We're about halfway through 1 Samuel, uh, based on the fact that it has about 30 chapters. Uh, my favorite part of re researching for this week was uh, all the guys who wrote commentaries, at least six or eight of them said, this chapter, 1516, was written to be the, the uh, pinnacle of the book of 1 Samuel. And which I started laughing because I'm going like, well, we talked about the first week. First and Second Samuel were not written as a as two books; they were written as one book. So we're only and First and Second Kings. It's really a four book series, and so we're only one eighth of the way through the story of the kings. So this is not this is an important story, but this was not written by the original author as the the peak of the story. Uh, but it's a very important story. All right, let's do, let's do a little uh, set, set up kind of the culture and what's happened historically. If I get my thing, there we go, switch. All right, a little map here for you. Everything we're talking about, uh, this is the Dead Sea, uh, Sea of Galilee, takes place right here. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, we tend to think of everything's focused on the Bible, that that's the ultimate of what's happening on earth at the time. It isn't. The big world powers during this period are the Egyptians in green and uh, <coughs> the Hittites in red. Where the Jews are at is an afterthought. It's a, nobody, want, nobody wants where the Jews ended up settling because it's uh, mountainous, this is a topo. So here's the road. The Philistines live down here in the green. So you can grow stuff. It's easy to, uh, there's a road that runs through here. Here's where all the, the Jews are living, on top of all these hills. And you know, when you hear the stories the last three or four weeks, when the Jews came down to fight the Philistines, they literally are coming down. The reason the Philistines haven't conquered the Jews is that the Philistines don't want to climb the hills. Their, their uh, chariot and cavalry. You can't ride a horse in the hills. Uh, 
So what happens is the Jews kind of live in the, on top of the hills. The Philistines are down here. Uh, for 400 and some odd years, you have this constant battles. You know, when you look at the book of uh, Judges, uh, Samson, Samson comes down out of the hills. He attacks a couple of Philistine cities and he goes back to the hills. Uh, and so that's kind of what's going on in the environment around the story that we are in 1 Samuel. Uh, here's some of the cities. Now remember, Jerusalem is not a Jewish city yet. That doesn't show up until the second half of this book. It's, it's not, it's a, uh, there are no Jews in Jerusalem. So Bethlehem's a Jewish city. Uh, a lot of these cities up in here, down here are the Philistines. And you can also see when the Jews came up from uh, Egypt, you can see how high these are. So you know right there's Jericho. So you know at some point they came down here and attacked Jericho. And so that's kind of laying on when you see these stories about uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer were on one side of the hill and the Philistines were on the other, that he had to crawl down and crawl back up. It's really steep, and so he really had to do that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, just to give you, when we talk about numbers and size, uh, 1250 the Battle of Kadesh. This is Kadesh up here, just above... Uh, Palestine. That was the battle where Ramses II, uh, for those of you who remember King, the big King, King Tut exhibition back lots of years ago, Ramses II is his dad. Uh, so this is the peak of Egyptian power. Uh, they came up and fought the Hittites. Uh, and just to show you the size of the armies and the amount of chariots, uh, the Egyptians brought 2,000 chariots and 20,000 men. We know that number is pretty solid because uh, the Egyptians were much better at counting than the Jews were. Uh, and, and remember, Hebrew does not doesn't have numbers in it. They have letters that represent numbers, and they don't have the, they don't have a zero. So sometimes it's difficult to understand what the writer means when he writes a number down. And then also to throw in, who's got the, uh, has anyone got the uh, Septuagint with them? Uh, no, I yeah. mentioned that Bruce had yeah. one. But yeah. uh, what happens in 200 BC is the Jews change how they count. They switch from the Hebrew way of counting to the Greek way of counting. So that all the Hebrew books written after 200 BC have Greek numbers. And just to confuse you, Hebrew reads from right to left. Greek reads from left to right. So after 250 BC, when you're reading Hebrew, the numbers switch. So you have to read and then switch, go left to right to read the number, and then go back right to left. Uh, and so, and then in, what was it, 150, they create the Septuagint where they translate all the Hebrew into Greek. And so, a lot of what we have is from the Greek versions of the Old Testament and then some parts of Hebrew Testaments. So understand when you read numbers in the book of Samuel, uh, Judges, uh, Numbers, uh, and Kings, that the numbers may not be exactly the way they're translated. 
So the Egyptians had 2,000 chariots, 20,000 men. Basically, Ramses II was, the, the Hittites were bothering him. And so he marches all the way up through Palestine up to this little city. Uh, the Hittites are, by the way, the guys in history that invented the chariot. So they had 3,000 chariots. Uh, he talks about, uh, Ramsey's writings talk about the sea people fought with him. Those are the Philistines. So he comes through this area where the Philistines live, and they're mercenaries. And so he pays them some gold, and they go fight with him. And they bring 500 chariots. So that gives you a sign. This is about 200 years before we're, talk we're talking now in Samuel. It gives you an idea of the size of the militaries around them. So when you start reading stories in Samuel, you can kind of frame that in the culture of the day. So basically, this was the biggest chariot battle in history. There were about 6,000 chariots. About Each side had about 20,000 people. Uh, the Egyptians win. Uh, and then... There's a lot of writing, and the Hittites become a vassal state of uh, Egypt, which actually works out good for the Jews because the Jews were kind of stuck in between them. And so once the Hittites become a vassal state, the, the peace treaty is pretty simple. The Egyptians tell them, we don't care what you do as long as you pay your taxes, uh, a certain number of tons of gold per year, and you can, you can invade anyone you want as long as it's not south. You want to go north, east, west, we don't care as long as it's not south. And conveniently for us, south are the Jews. So that's why in history, the Jews become kind of this autonomous country because you, everyone's kind of ignoring them because no one wants the hills. And then they're, they're a pain to fight in the hills. So there's a lot of Jews and they're in the hills. Uh, and then I found this nice picture of, this is uh, bronze-era armor. This would have been a king. This is not your average guy walking around. Remember the story from last week? How many, how many iron swords did the Israelis own, or the Jews own? Two. Two. The king and the king's son. Uh, so this is kind of armor that a king would have worn. The rest of the army would have been farmers and sheep herders that when the king says it's time to go, you grab whatever instrument around you and you go fight. No armor, uh, nobody's got a sword because all the iron is in the Hittites or the Philistines. Uh, and so there's lots of guys with slingshots or slings. Uh, there are guys with uh, bow and arrow. Bow, some bow and arrow. The, most of the bow and arrows the Philistines did. The way you did a chariot, you had a guy driving your chariot, and you'd have one or two people, one or two archers in your chariot shooting arrows. Uh, so there are some arrows in, in, among the Jews. Uh, but that's also why the Jews and the Philistines really didn't want to get in a fixed battle. The Philistines wanted to fight on the coast where they could use their chariots and their cavalry. The Jews wanted to fight in the hills where they could fight one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's why you see this constant 400-year battle. There's no definitive battle because no one will commit. The Jews don't have anyone to fight. Uh, and when you look at the book of Judges, uh, Exodus, Numbers, and Samuel, every time the Jews win a battle, God wins the battle. 
I mean, think Gideon. How many people did Gideon have as the judge? 300. Right? We all remember the flannel graph, right? You know, all the guys, if you drank, if you bent and drank, then they would throw you out. Uh, if you, you know, if you scooped it up and you kept you, you know, he had 300 guys, they defeated an army. And so every time you go through this, and God says, he goes, I will conquer the land for you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to have faith in me and trust what I say. So that's kind of where we're, we're sitting right now in the story. Uh, and here, just to remind you of all the tribes. So the Philistines are here. Uh, the road that we looked at comes up right through Dan, right through Manasseh, and crosses over right through here. So when the Egyptians came up 200 years before this, they went right through here. And the fact that there's no historical record of the Jews doing anything tells you that the Jews got out of the way. So when the Egyptians came up with their chariots and their army and with the Philistines, the Jews said, just go ahead, go through. Did not charge them a toll or anything. Uh, so this is where we're at right now. Most of the action that we're talking about is right, here's Benjamin, where's, where's Saul from? Probably Benjamin. Uh, where's David from? Bethlehem. So most of the action of the story is right in here, in the middle. And as, as we look at 1 Samuel 15, uh, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord has sent to anoint you king over the people of Israel. So now listen to the message from the Lord. So Samuel's, remember Samuel's both a priest, a judge, and a prophet. So he's in his prophet mode here. He basically says, God has told me something. Uh, this is what the Lord says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up for Egypt. So 500 years before this, this, the Jews came up from Egypt and they ran into the Amalekites. Exodus 17. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israels at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, and you also remember this from flannel grass, right? This story. Uh, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So when they fought the Amalekites, as Moses ordered, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites, the Jews won. When he grew tired uh, and lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And so I, I theologically, I cannot explain this at all. You can ask George after class. He'll have the answer. Uh, I have no idea why his hands up, they win, the hands down, they don't. But that's what, this is a story. This is a story of what they recorded. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And then Aaron and Hur stood beside him and held his hands up. Uh, and so Joshua overcame. He came stay till the sunset. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll. That means remember this. As some to be remembered, make sure that Joshua heard it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. And then they build an, an altar, because my hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. And the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is 500 years before where we're at right now. And so now... 
God goes to Saul via Samuel and says, all right, it's time to take care of this. It's 500 years later. Go to the Amalekites and totally destroy them. The Hebrew word here means completely, utterly destroy everything. There's nothing to be left. Uh, do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. That's pretty, pretty clear. Wipe them all out. Uh, so Saul summoned the man and mustered them and tell him, this is where the numbers are. The first number is probably true. The rest of it is hard to tell. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. So that's 200,000 from Israel. Remember, this book is written after the fact. So it's written after the time when is the, the nation is split into two. So you have Judah and Israel. So when they, all the numberings you'll get in this, they'll say that so many guys from the ten tribes of Israel, so many guys from the two tribes of Judah. Uh, and so uh, some amount, 200,000, 210,000, 210,000, as you can see from that last battle of Kadesh, would be a lot of soldiers. 2,000, maybe a better number. Uh, and so go down to the city of Amalek, and set ambush in the ravine. And so when you see these stories, you cannot set an ambush with 200,000 guys, right? <laughs> We've all been to the Titans football game, right? You can't, that's only 60,000. You can't stack 60,000 people in, in a ravine. That's why we think some of these numbers are not what, what the true number was. Uh, and then he said to the Kenites, Kenites are another tribe that lived in amongst the Amalekites. Uh, we saw that two weeks ago when there were Hebrews who were fighting for the Philistines. So the people lived, it's not like there were strong borders that said, oh no, this is where the Jews live, this is where the Philistines live. They lived in amongst themselves. Uh, and we'll see when we get to the, David, David has people fight for him that are Hittites and her Philistines and whoever. Uh, and so they go to the Kenites, go leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And so the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. I mean, I think that would have been a hint if I was an Amalekite when all the guys start leaving the city, uh, that maybe something's up. Uh, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from two cities, Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, so all the way down to Egypt. And he took Agag the king alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. All the people he destroyed. But Saul and his army smelled Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat land, calves and the lambs, everything that was good. And so they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised of the weak they destroyed. That is not what God told them to do. And we're going to get into Saul explaining that here about now. You may already be fine to this, but because um, Saul heard God telling him to do, makes Putin look pretty good. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it, there, there are some hard things in the, in the scholars deal with that. Uh, what I have read, and I'll, again, 
George will answer your question. That's fine. Uh, uh, is that the wickedness, he had given them time to repent, and that the wickedness had totally overcome them to the point that they were, they were so far off the path that he says, at this point, I'm going to destroy them. Uh, we, we see the same thing in the uh, story of Jonah and Nineveh. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll see stories like that. So, unless they repent, I will destroy them. That's what he's doing here. You know, that, another thing about that is think about the children of Israel, two million of them coming out of Egypt, and they had to pack real quick. They had nothing. They didn't have any weapons. They didn't have anything. They were to borrow what from the Egyptians? Jewelry. They'll borrow jewelry and gold, but they didn't have swords, shields, anything to protect them. And the Amalekites attacked the rear of the, 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 where the weakest people would be, the women and children, the weakest would be in the back. And the Amalekites attacked them fully knowing they had no way to defend themselves. So, They've yeah. been a stench to God for a long time. Right. I mean, 500 years. And so he tells me it's, it's, time, it's time to do, because they wrote it down 500 years before this, we're going to take care of the Amalekites. We're doing it now. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. That's a strong statement. Uh, he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all night. So you see this back and forth between Samuel and God, or uh, we were talking about the scripture like this, maybe the Holy Spirit coming down to talk to God. Uh, it's, it's, depends, on your, depends on your theology. Uh, but Samuel's angry and calls out. And then in the early morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. And he was told, uh, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So, you know, what do we always know? God tells him every time, I will give you the victory. Just do what I say. And so Saul sets up a monument in his own honor. Because this is what, like at the Battle of Kadesh, Ramses II sets up these series of standing stones where he engraves in there what happened and how good he was. That he was such a great general. Uh, and then Saul does the same thing. He sets up a stone and says, this is what I have done. I have destroyed the Amalekites. Well, mostly destroyed the Amalekites. Uh, and then so Samuel's following him around. And so when Samuel reached him, Saul says, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And then Samuel says, you know, again, back to flannel grass. What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Because he said, destroy them all. Kill them all. Uh and all of a sudden, it's like you show up, oh, well, I hear sheep, you know, because typically in battles of those times, you would take all the things back that were worth something. Uh, and so that's what the guys were doing. Uh, I, the fact that Saul says, I carried out the Lord's instructions. I mean, it's in the, in the, in the, if this were a school, a school grade, he gets a C. He mostly did the instructions. He didn't completely do the instructions. It's not an A for sure. It's like, yeah, I, you know, 
I kind of, I, I kind of did what you told me to do. Uh, and then saw answers. Remember, every time you see Saul before he becomes king, he's trying to avoid all responsibility. And he does it again here. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. He knows good and well they're not sacrificing all these sheep and cattle. They will give them a tenth, maybe. And then the rest go back and you're wealthier. And I love the fact that Saul answered, well, the soldiers did it. He's the king. He's in charge of everybody. And and his, when he gets in trouble, the first thing, well, those guys made me do it. Uh, this is you know two year. This is the two year old answer, the three year old answer right there, right? Who did it? I don't know. He did it. Enough, Samuel says to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. By the way, if anyone comes up to you and says this. I don't know if I want to know what the Lord told them last night. <laughs> and Saul says, tell me. Also a sign that he may not have been the sharpest knife. As king. Yes. So I've not caught Samuel was angry in verse 11. Was Samuel angry at God or is he mad at Saul? That, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, yes. it, it's a, both, both, both is the answer. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, it does not record whether he's trying to get God to change his mind yeah. or is he just uh, upset that Saul who they've given all this power to has gone so far off target so it's, it's not clear I'm sure if someone has written their, their PhD thesis on this verse I just have not read it I'm going to go with you Yeah, that, that's the other thing you have to put in there. You know, Saul did. Yeah, Samuel didn't want to make Saul king. Yeah. I told you. I told you. I told you. Yeah. Now the guy's keeping cattle. Just you know, wants to have a good steak. That's it. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's a lot of that in there. I mean, because Samuel was definitely not in favor of this plan. God had to tell him, no, 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 no. I decided, do it. Uh, and Samuel, you know, basically cried out all that night. Uh, and so then he goes to Saul and says, let me tell you what God says. Oh, come on, tell me, come on, tell me. Because Saul's feeling good, right? But don't pass up verse 2. So Samuel, so God told them, yeah, 12, I'm sorry. God told them to wipe out the Amalekites. And Saul goes and he thinks he wipes out the Amalekites. He does so in such a manner. That he goes over to Carmel, and you don't have your map up again, but and don't do it. But if you're, if he, he's way down here, yeah, and he goes up here to build a monument to himself for what a great job he did. That's incredible. That's what I think. Sam. Yeah, well, I think Sam has lots of things he's mad at. He, he didn't like Saul from the get-go, and Saul has continued to uh, reinforce his opinion. Yes. Yep. I made this comment a few weeks ago in class. Even God doesn't have a vow that the person won't be. Right. <laughs> and if you've ever hired someone that's really disappointed you, that's probably the first emotion you do. Yeah, it is. I mean, because... You know, how in the world? 
Right, and re and remember, this is not. This is probably thirty plus years into Saul's reign. This is not like I appointed him king last week, because David's about to show up on the scene, and Saul we know rules for about forty years, and. <laughs> Also think, how old is Samuel when this is going on? Because Samuel was, he was a priest, so in order to be a functional priest, you had to be 30, before he appointed Saul. So Samuel's 70. He's probably <laughs> 70 years old at this time. And, uh, and Samuel's about to dress him down in a good way, or not a good way. Well, it depends on who, whose point of view you take. Samuel is a good way. If you're Saul, you're going to feel really short. Remember, how tall, what's Saul? Why are they picking? Head and shoulders above everybody else. Samuel, little old 70-year-old priest, is about to take him down. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become head of the tribes of Israel? I mean, did not God appoint you that? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you out on, I'm going to interpret this, a simple mission completely destroy these people. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Did, why did you not obey the God? Why did you not pounce on the why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Basically the guys were taking it and trust me, Saul has some too. He's the king. It's not like Saul did not bring sheep and cattle back. You know, all the other guys, I, I get, he's the king. The king always gets the biggest amount. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission he assigned me. I completely destroyed them. Agag, their king. And brought, I destroyed them and brought back Agag, the king, which got Eton to kill him. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle for the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So again, you have Saul triangulating here, saying, no, 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 I, I did it. I, I did what I was sent to do. The men didn't do it. Blame those guys. And, and he looked at him and says, you're the king. You're in How charge. How long has he been king at this point? Probably 30 years. I mean, he's been king a long time. He's, he's old enough that, remember the last story last week, Jonathan was out fighting his son. So his, Jonathan's probably around 30, 25 to 30. So he's been king a long time, 30 years. So, I mean, how, if you're the king, how are you going? Like, well, the guys made me do it. I'm not really, I'm not, basically what he's saying is I'm not really the king because my men did not follow me. They didn't do what I told them to do. I told them to call to destroy everything, and they, but they brought the best back to and then Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Do the right thing the first time. Don't come back and ask forgiveness. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of adultery. That's, if, if a prophet of the God told me that I'm guilty of divination and adultery, I, and I'm a Jew, I'm in a bad way. Idolatry. Idolatry. <laughs> uh, 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That, I mean, that's like, all right, you're not king anymore in God's eyes. And then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I, again, this is not repentance. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back to me that I may worship the Lord. Again, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. The men made me do it. Again, he's been king for 30 years at this point. He, all these men, as you remember from the previous chapters, as he found men of valor, he added them to his troops. These are all guys that he handpicked. These are not just random guys. And now he's saying, well, I, I can't control them. They're, not, they're out of my control. And then he said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you over Israel. And then as he turned to leave, he took his hint. He reached out to grab him by the robe uh, and tore. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Oh, that's, that's the knife. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He is not a human being that he should change his mind. So basically he's telling God's not changing his mind. You're not the king anymore. God has pulled away from you. Again, I have sinned. Please honor me before the elders of the people. That Come back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. And so Samuel came back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel, remember, 70, Samuel's 70 years old. Bring me Agag, the king. And Agag came to him, he's in chains, and he goes, Surely the bitterness of death, the passions are down. They're going to uh, send me back to my people. They will pay a price to get me back. Uh, and as Samuel said, As your sword has made children, women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord of God. Uh, the, the word here is he hacked him to pieces. So this is a 70-year-old who goes and gets a sword and hacks this guy to pieces in front of everyone. So as, if you don't think that Saul was wrong, Samuel showed this is this is what I wanted Saul to do. And 70-year-old hacks this guy to pieces. And then he... Samuel went to Ramah, Saul went to his home. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. That's, that's a strong statement. The Lord regretted, and Samuel mourned for the king. The fact that he had invested, I mean, you know, we're, like I said, we're 30 years into this. Samuel's been working with him for 30 years, like, Fred said, you have this disappointment that he should go so wrong. All right, 1 Samuel 16. All right. This is every Jewish boy ever knows this chapter because this is the greatest hero in the Old Testament, King David. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, I, I don't understand how, the Lord and Samuel talk a lot. And so it's just like, you know, they just have this conversation. I, I don't understand that. We'll have to ask God when we, or Samuel when we get to heaven. Just what was it like when the God just calls you up and goes, hey, what are you doing? Uh, how long will you mourn for Saul since I 
I, God, have rejected him over Israel. Fill your horn with the world. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And Samuel goes, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Because he just told Saul, clearly if Samuel's got oil, he's going to appoint the next king. Because Saul remembers how he got appointed. So he says, how can I go? Because he, he'll kill me. And the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse, and I'll show you what to do. And you'll anoint the one I indicate. So Samuel goes down to Bethlehem. That's that direction, south. Uh, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. When Samuel shows up, it's generally not a good thing. He's a judge. People are in trouble when he shows up. Uh, and they clearly, because they're trembling, they said, uh, do you come in peace? Uh, you know, because we, you know, we know what you told Saul to do with the Amalekites, and now next thing, and we just heard what you did to the king, and you just showed up. He goes, yeah, I'm in peace. I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourself to come sacrifice with me. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Uh, when they arrived, Samuel saw Elabib and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands, because this is the oldest son. We know he's a warrior. We'll get another story about this in just a minute. Surely this is because of the same thing as Saul. He's big, he's strong, he's strapping. And the Lord says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. They look at the outward, but I look at the heart. And then he calls his other brothers. Nope, not this one. And then another one, not this one. Uh, I think, what's he got? Six or seven? Seven. seven. All right, of course. The, the official <laughs> number of people, seven. Uh, and so, uh, he has his sons passed before Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, Samuel's really confused at this point. Because all the sons are paraded by, and he goes, and none of them are king. He goes, are, are these all the sons you have? And he says, well, they're still the youngest. He's out with the sheep. So we, we know by that that David's probably in his mid-teens. He's a shepherd. He's in his mid-teens watching the sheep. Uh, send for him. We will not sit till he arrives. They're going to sit down and have a feast of the cattle which they already sacrificed. So they sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing in health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. And he took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord, Holy Spirit, maybe, uh, came powerfully upon David and David and then Samuel went to Ramah. So Ramah is home. He goes home. And at the same time the spirit goes on David, the spirit leaves Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's a whole sermon on whether or not the Lord sent it or the Lord just allowed it to happen. And the one minute I have left, we can't get into that. <laughs> George, again, will tell you about that if you have uh, And so an evil spirit, and then I need servants who can play the liar and make him happy. Find someone, and some, one of the servants answers, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. At this point, remember, this is written after the fact. David is not a warrior at this time. Uh, he would be, he's not, to be a warrior, you have to be 20. He is not 20 yet. 
But by the time when they write this book, he has already been king and a warrior. Uh, he sent message, send me the son David who's with the sheep. So they loaded, donkey loaded bread, wine, goat, and sent him with Saul. To David, to Saul. And then uh, he liked him very much. He became one of his armor bearers. And they sent word to Jesse, say, allow David to remain in my service, for I'm pleased with him. And so whenever a spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So we now have set up David, who is now anointed as king, is the armor bearer to the king. The armor bearer is the guy that carries his shield and helps the king get dressed for battle. Uh, so that's where we're standing right now in the story. Uh, at the end of this chapter, David's anointed. Saul has constant uh, thought, evil spirits are tormenting him, and David is basically appointed to his court in order to soothe him. All right, next week is probably our friend Goliath showing up. All right, we'll see you then.